You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Another day, another donut. That line is only funny or freaky to the uh, seven people who are in their car smashing a donut right now, thinking, nobody knows what I'm doing. (laughs) Doing some naughty eating in your car, thinking nobody can see you. You know, you like stash it away when that car drives past you. Like, what's up, man? I'm just uh, driving to work like everybody else, super normal. Then they leave you smashed down donuts. But I just called you out. And that just freaked you out. Because I can see you right now, Kevin. All right, I'm just I, I can't. It's fine. Just eat your donut, all right? Just eat your donut in shame. Anyways, uh, what's on the docket today? A little bit of news and notesy stuff. You know how it is. I don't have any comments on the Thursday night game because it is 5 o'clock on Thursday, so I have not seen it. No spoilers, please. Guess we'll just uh, jump into it? I don't know. LaShawn McCoy retired. Was that weird? It felt abrupt. But LaShawn, LaShawn McCoy retired. I didn't know he was still in the NFL, to be completely honest. I mean, he, I don't think he was, was he? Was he on a team? Let me Google it. I don't even know. I feel like it was one of those, he's been trying to get a job but can't and just wouldn't let it go, and then finally he's like, all right, fine, I suck, all right, I retire. Yeah, I was kind of right. He was on the Bucks in 2020. Completely forgot about that. Chiefs in 2019, Bills from 2015 to 2018. I very vaguely remember that. I remember that whole trade going down. Wasn't that with uh, Chip Kelly? And everybody called him a racist because he, like, traded him away. Come to find out he's just an idiot. I'm sure some people still think he's a racist because why not? Um, But, yeah, so he was with the Bucks in 2020 and then couldn't find a job and then just decided, fine, I'll just take my millions and go not have to play football anymore. Sounds good. According to Track, he's made um, $63 million, so not too shabby. Dude was fun to watch, man. LaShawn McCoy was uh, pretty fantastic. He was one of those guys you want to snatch up super early in fantasy football. And I just think he was more fun. Like, I remember having LaShawn McCoy on my team, and he's one of those, I mean, shady, slippery kind of running backs that uh, would just break one. And when he did, it was just, it added that layer of excitement. It's kind of similar to Le'Veon Bell, you know, back in the day. Now, who are the running backs? It's it's more, it's kind of weird. It's more like throwback. It's just between the tackles kind of guys for the most part. I mean, Aaron Jones has got a little bit, but it's nothing like LaShawn McCoy. Derrick Henry's just more of a straight line runner. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is just, you know, running straight ahead. A lot of catching stuff out of the backfield and running. I miss it, man. I miss the LaShawn McCoys. Just freestyling. He's got the ball in one hand, like just trying to... Somehow he doesn't fumble. He's making guys miss all over the place, just playing backyard football. Did did I pause it, this podcast, and go watch LaShawn McCoy highlights? It's entirely possible. That dude, 
was different. I mean, he reminds me a lot of like Christian McCaffrey, just as far as like the how sharp his cuts are and everything else. He's the only guy that comes to mind, Christian McCaffrey, when it's just like he just. And I haven't even, to be honest, I haven't hardly watched Christian McCaffrey a ton since, I mean, college. <laughs> Last time I really liked Christian McCaffrey, he was in college. And ever since I got done bragging about how I was right about McCaffrey, I haven't hardly watched him. But this is what I envision he's doing in the NFL, because he did it in college. But um, it was so, again, you get him on your fantasy team and you just watch him earn those extra points. It's fun, fun, uh, fun stuff. Getting into some NFC North news, Detroit Lions uh, head coach Dan Campbell said you're going to be seeing a lot more DeAndre Swift in the future. Quote, I certainly think you're going to see a lot more Swift, Campbell affirmed, and he could very easily be out there uh, first play. He's done enough to earn that, if that's what you're asking. He's a dynamic player, and I think he's just, every week he's been improving, and the more he shows, the more we put him, put on him, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Bottom line, a little bit of a fantasy update number one. NFC North update number two, and uh, most importantly, a Jamal Williams update. Sounds like he may be moving a little bit down the depth chart, but at the same time, this this sounds, this sounds based on his answer, and I didn't go find the clip because I don't care that much. This sounds a lot like one of those things where somebody asks a question, and then they answer the question in a sort of nothing kind of a way, and everybody runs with it. Like, dude, Swift is going to be getting so many more carries. I mean, he didn't have to say you're going to see more of him, and certainly didn't have to say you're going to see a lot more of him, but he did. But he's mostly just talking about how great he is, and you know he's doing a great job and all that stuff, which he would say anyways, but I don't know, whatever. Hopefully Jamal isn't getting downgraded, but uh, it is what it is. As for the Minnesota Vi- Vikings, um, apparently their tight end Conklin is not practicing. It's relevant because um, the Vikings are 1-2, and two. They're trying desperately to get back to 500. They're going up against Cleveland, which is a pretty dangerous team. We saw what they did to Chicago. Don't have to go through their whole roster, but they've got the pass rushers. They've got some other pieces that are pretty solid. The offense can be pretty scary, and um, their number one tight end is already on IR. This is not only their um, number one tight end now, it's also their number three receiver, because their number three receiver isn't even their number three receiver. The tight end is the number three receiver right now. So they're getting pretty thinned out at this point. Um, definitely, as much as you wouldn't think a guy like Conklin could make a big difference, again, um, just running out of options. It would be like if we lost Royce Newman. You know, nobody would be thinking, well, who cares? Like Royce, I don't even know who that is, to be honest with you. It's not so much Royce Newman is so good. It's a matter of we're really running out of options. Um, in Chicago Bears land, and this is. Uh, Kind of old news from yesterday, but uh, I forgot to talk about it, so we'll talk about it today. The Bears announced they have signed a purchase agreement with the Village of Arlington Heights for the Arlington Park property. Currently a racetrack, it's thought to be a potential future candidate for a new stadium for the franchise. The Bears currently play at Soldier Field, but can break the lease in 2026 by paying $84 million, which, as I'm sure we're all aware, is basically like us paying $84, if it's even if it's even that, to be honest. Um, this is actually a pretty big... Um, thing because I I remember there was a lot of talk about this before. They were saying that they were going to purchase, I don't remember if it was this property or some other property, but it doesn't really matter. They were talking about it. And apparently there were negotiations and uh, the mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, basically said, called, you know, BS, said this is a negotiating tactic and I'm not falling for it. And, you know, you guys just need to go away. I mean, not literally. I mean, you're going to stay, but you're going to do whatever I say, basically. And so the Bears apparently took that information and said, okay, bye, and went and bought this track. Now, 
this could just be a uh, a real big step in the negotiation <laughs> negotiating. But uh, at the end of the day, nobody likes Chicago. And um, no offense to anybody living in Chicago, but you guys don't deserve nice things. It's a terrible city. And it's a shame because it's actually a great city. It's one of those things where I don't like Chicago, but then when I watch like documentaries about Chicago, I get nostalgic about it. Like I watched this thing with, uh, I don't know, they're just talking about these, these little restaurants and everything. It just reminds me of my childhood. Again, I lived in the suburbs of Chicago, so I was a little bit outside, but it still has the same feel of what I grew up with. Plus, I was in Chicago once in a while doing different stuff, going to the museums and all these different things. And there is some history there, the music, the food, the everything. But uh, it's, it's not being taken care of properly. And if you're not going to manage your stuff, and you're not going to do a good job, then you don't get to have nice things. And so, good for the bears. I hope they do leave. No different than with your kids. If you give your kid a present, and he walks over and smacks his sister with it, you take the present away and say, you don't get to have this anymore. And if you hit your sister with something else, you get that taken away also. I mean, obviously something more drastic has to happen at that point, but you get the idea. You don't get to just keep the thing. You lose the thing. You, you lose the privilege of having it. You're squandering a great opportunity having this massive stadium, a massive revenue generator, something that brings people to this city in droves, which otherwise would never come to Chicago for any reason ever. feel bad for the White Sox being on the south side of Chicago. That's just brutal. It's a part of me that loves Chicago, but at the same time, if you're not going to take care of it, then they should leave. And they should. And part of me hopes that by doing that, maybe they'll realize things are getting a little out of control. We should do something about this. But obviously we all know that that's never going to happen. I'm sure the lost revenue will just be met with more tax increases in one of the most heavily taxed states in the country. We messed up, so you gotta pay more. That's the Illinois state motto. It's also just a black eye to the franchise, you know? You had to pack up and leave. It's just it's just all culminates into how much you suck, and it's just it just makes, the whole thing makes me happy. Bears suck, Chicago sucks, ha ha ha. You can't even keep a franchise in that city. Packers have been keeping a franchise in Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's nothing in Green Bay. I've been there. It's, there's nothing. There's a stadium. The only reason anybody's there. And a lot of people are there. But I don't know. It makes me smile. In other Chicago Bears news, apparently the uh, head coach will be, potentially could be, relinquishing some of his play-calling duties. Which, if you remember, I, a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever, I played that clip of a Chicago Bears YouTuber just losing his mind because I thought the whole thing was beautiful. Again, I like listening to the wailing of gnashing, wailing of, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Is that, I should know the thing, but I don't know the thing. It doesn't sound right, but I think, I think that's it. Wailing, it's probably two different things. There's wailing and then there's gnashing of teeth. Okay, I think we got it. I enjoy it. But one of the things that they were talking about is you need Nagy, you need to be a head coach. Not a, you know, I'm a super genius, schemey play caller. kind. You got to be a head coach, dude. You got other responsibilities. There are other things that a head coach needs to do that you need to be taking care of that you're not because you're busy like going through your play sheet. You're out there playing Madden. Like, dude, I don't want to, I don't want to manage people. I want to play Madden with real live human beings. Granted, sounds like fun. Actually sounds freaking awesome. But that's not, that's not what you got to do right now. And so, anyways, the Chicago Tribune believes Bears offensive coordinator Bill Lazor is more likely to call plays uh, than Matt Nagy for Sunday's game against the Lions. This is just beat writer speculation, of course, but Brad Biggs is one of the best in the business. This is true, I've learned. The Bears had a similar meeting of the minds uh, in November of that last season, and it led to more productive, albeit fueled by 
playing bad defenses run for the Chicago. I don't, whatever. It should also be added that, uh, I don't remember what the context was. Maybe it's in my notes here somewhere, but um, there was some talk from the head coach, Matt Nagy, and he said that there is some, um, some of the blame on him is warranted, something to that effect. So maybe he's kind of realizing that that didn't go super well. And maybe my head is very much on the chopping block, and maybe we need to start doing something drastic because I'm not going to make it through the season if this continues. Um, On that note, um, Andy Dalton is limited still with a knee injury. There's still some question about who's going to end up playing. Uh, Justin Fields is also injured with a hand injury, but he was a full participant, so it sounds like he's going to be a full go if they decide to go in that direction, which, again, wide open at this point. I have to think that they really want Andy Dalton back. Well, there's two competing things. Number one, and I feel like if this was the case, you would have just said so, but they're in such a bad spot right now. And again, this is, and we'll, we'll, obviously we're going to get into this more. This is a telltale sign of how you know that, at least from the Bears' perspective, and you can say they're a bunch of idiots and they don't know what they're talking about and it's Nagy's fault, all that stuff. You can tell they know that Fields is not ready because it would be so easy to just say Fields is the guy. Dalton is injured. This is your excuse. He already played a full game last week. Just keep doing it. Just say Fields has done enough to earn the job. They're not doing that. And so now they're in a situation where they're saying, I don't really know who's going to play. And it's like, well, Dalton's hurt. So, I mean, Fields is fine. Maybe you would want to play the guy you drafted in the first round. Or they're just like, well, I don't know. I mean, it could be any of the three. Like, what do you mean three? Why would it be three? Is it maybe because Andy Dalton's hurt and they're contemplating maybe not even playing Justin Fields, dropping him down to QB3? But again, what a horrible situation for them to be in because they want to play Dalton. But also, they know they're going to get crucified if they play Dalton because everybody else wants Fields. But they kind of know they can't play Fields. And so it would kind of be nice if Dalton was hurt because then they could play Fields and, you know, just they're kind of, their hand is forced. But at the same time, there's a part of them that realizes they have a better shot if Dalton doesn't play to play Nick Foles. So, but again, that's, that's almost an impossibility at this point. Unless they just flat out come out and say Justin Fields sucks. Which, to be honest, if I'm Nagy, even if it's not entirely true, that might be your best bet if you're trying to just save your job. To just be like, look, we're going to call it like it is. I know my job is to come up here and be like, everybody's great. Everyone's doing a great job. That dude is not good. He's not ready. I didn't freaking draft the guy. Go talk to the GM about drafting the guy. I didn't do it. I'm just here trying to figure out a way to win with the pile of garbage that the GM gave me to play with, which is kind of crazy, by the way, to be completely honest. Matt Nagy gets all the hate. Ryan Pace is the guy that ruined this team. Look at how bad everything's gotten. Look how much the... (laughs) They have no quarterbacks right now. Their offensive line is terrible. They have no tight ends. The defensive line is getting worse every single year because, I mean, that's what happens when you get older. Akeem Hicks is a year worse and Khalil Mack is a year worse. They're still fine. I mean, they're still good. But uh, we lost Trevathan. We lost all our corners. The safeties are barely mediocre, if that. It's getting worse every year. And Ryan Pace just apparently takes no heat because everyone hates Nagy so much. And probably because the offense is so bad, people don't even notice the defense is getting worse. And so we can just p- pretend that the defense is still elite. And if, if the offense was just good, and by the way, the offense is fine. We got Allen Robinson, who's a freak, and we got this great running back. And, you know, offensive line could be a little better, I guess. But, you know, if, if we could just play fields and, and we had a coach 
this is such peak denial. If we just had a coach that knew how to call plays better and scheme better, because Fields is obviously a free, then Fields to Robinson and this great rushing attack and this elite defense, we would win a Super Bowl. Rather than just acknowledging the biggest problem, and I'm not trying to defend Nagy necessarily, but he's taken 100% of the heat, when in reality, there's a lot of heat to go around. And I would say more than 50% of it has to do with the actual roster, which would be Pace's fault. But anyways, it's it's a heck of a soap opera, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, my guess is that Justin Fields is going to play again. Um, I just, I don't know. If, if Andy Dalton's healthy, I think that they play Andy Dalton, but I also think maybe they don't rush him back. But then there's also a part of him that really doesn't want Fields to play because they know he's bad. And I don't know, man, it's a weird thing. But it's just fun to observe it from afar, not really, really caring. Because the only thing I care about is I just hope that they don't become good. And so far, it's... I mean, I, I, I am less worried about Fields already than I was about Trubisky in the past. Because with Trubisky, there were two things on my mind. Number one, there's always that concern that maybe this year he'll be good. Which maybe next year with Fields, it'll be the same thing. Like Maybe he takes that second year leap, I don't know. But on top of that, Trubisky at least showed something. He showed some penchant to do some things. In fact, one of the things he actually did quite well was hit those deep shots. And if nothing else, he was like a really bad version of Matt Stafford. I mean, he would just play poorly, and then all of a sudden he'd nail, I mean, just absolute right in the basket, a 40-yard dime. And it's like, oh, shoot, are we about to lose to the freaking Bears? I hope not. So you just worry about that. If he's just kind of in the zone a little bit and minimizes his mistakes, we, we might be in trouble here. Fields has shown zero things, so I'm just not concerned. Um, I do want to touch on uh, one final thing on that note. PFF uh, put an article together about the rookie quarterbacks, and they had a thought that I thought made sense. And again, this kind of puts it back on on Matt Nagy. And it, it, it really kind of brings this whole picture full circle based on what I've been saying this whole time. I don't think the reality is that Justin Fields is so good and he fell all the way to the Bears, and so the Bears traded up and they just got lucky. I think the Bears are desperate. I think we saw how desperate the Bears were. I've talked about this. The reason they moved up for him isn't because he was—he should have been gone at five and he fell and they're like, this, this is a dream scenario. It's that they're unbelievably desperate, which is why they tried for um, Deshaun Watson. Obviously, that fell apart because of all the allegations and everything. Despite the fact they really wanted him, they realized he would never play. And so they really wanted Russell Wilson. They tried desperately to get Russell Wilson. That didn't happen. So what do they do? They go, they're so desperate for a quarterback. They not only beg Andy Dalton to come, they have to tell him that he's guaranteed to get the starting job if he comes over. That's how desperate they are. And so now you've got a falling Justin Fields. In other words, the NFL wasn't as high as everybody else seemed to be. He fell out of the top 10. And here come the super desperate Bears jumping up to grab him. Here's the other thing, though. It's not even so much that he's he's just bad outright. But Matt Nagy's job is also to find fit, right? One of the things I remember reading about uh, Trey Lance is how he's a perfect, perfect fit for the San Francisco 49ers, which is probably why he went as early as he did, because it's not just a matter of raw talent, it's also fit. And so the the thing with Trey Lance is he's got to go to a team like the 49ers, or it's just not going to work with him. Sort of the read option, you know, his ability to run and and all, all the different things that those types of teams do, that's where he has to go. It's a perfect marriage, a perfect fit. Now, whether or not he becomes a good player, I don't know, that's largely on him, but it was the right call for the GM to say, this is exactly the kind of quarterback we need for our system. Let's take a swing at it. The opposite is true with Fields. And again, PFF kind of pointed this out. 
They did an article kind of just going over how he's been doing so far. I just want to read a little bit of this. Yes, we're talking about Justin Fields again. I, I Listen, the other part of this is I just take the news that's available. I want to talk more about the Vikings and the Lions. Nobody's talking about them because nobody cares. Everybody's talking about Justin Fields. So I'm just reading news as it comes across. And it's interesting to me because I'm already talking about it. Here we go. Ready? You don't need me to tell you that quarterback is not the same as any other position on the football field. While a rookie receiver can get by simply knowing uh, his own role in a given play, a quarterback has to know everyone's role, and there's absolutely no shame whatsoever in saying someone isn't ready. With the talent around Fields and the way the offense was schemed Sunday, Fields should not have been under center. That's not to say Matt Nagy can't do more to make Fields' life easier. He absolutely can. It's that there may simply be too far to go to make it a meaningful learning experience for Fields. So this is a two-part thing. They're saying, number one, there isn't the talent around there to kind of make this thing work, right? He doesn't have the offensive line. He doesn't have the wide receivers. He doesn't have all this stuff. But also, he's got too far to go. To He's got too much to learn. He's too far away from being ready to run any offense, but also specifically this offense. Continuing on, he was under pressure on over half his dropbacks despite a reasonable 2.84 average time to throw and took nine sacks. For his overmatch to Chicago's tackles were, Fields has to help them out as well. He came from a vertical passing offense at Ohio State that forced him to sit and let routes develop downfield behind a talented Buckeyes line. Now he's being asked to hit rhythm throws when his back foot plants on the turf and he's not pulling the trigger. Again, I told you, it's not a coincidence that the Bears have almost never, maybe in their history, given up nine sacks. It's also not a coincidence that when they showed the list of of quarterbacks that took the most sacks, it's all very inexperienced, very lacking in talent type of guy. There's a reason things like this happen, and no, it's not just because they didn't scheme it. There's all kinds of coaches that have been terrible at scheming and not scheming against Miles Garrett, and they don't give up nine sacks. Matt Nagy has been... Coaching in the NFL for how many years? Has he ever given up nine sacks? The idea that we just assume he just had such a bad day that Matt... It's, it's, it's absurd. Part of it is Nagy. Part of it is the offensive line. But Fields also has a lot to do with this. And the fact of the matter is there was some scheme stuff. And he didn't pull the trigger. And they showed some clips in here. You can go to PFF. This is a free article. I'll read it. But then there's a visual here as well that I can't really help you with because this is a podcast. But, but also the, the general theme makes a ton of sense. Number one, he's behind one of the elite offensive lines in football, so he's gotten used to being comfortable in the pocket. Beyond that, the system he's used to is long, slow, developing plays. He's got time to stand there, wait for the, the routes to develop, and then hit him as they come open. Now it's, it's again, they developed a plan to get guys open quick, and he see this next one here, let me just read it. It says, Fields has a clear window on his first read to Darnell Mooney on the glance below, but inexplicably turns it down. And you can see in this, Darnell Mooney hits a very quick slant. He's open. Fields is looking in that direction and doesn't throw the ball. Instead, he tucks the ball and takes a sack. The the fact that he took nine sacks largely has to do with, and, and again, this is why Andy Dalton doesn't take nine sacks, because Andy Dalton throws the ball, and then that's not a sack. It's a hit. He gets hit after the play. But it's also a completion for probably, I don't know, 10 yards? Goes on after that. Again, there's a visual, but I'll explain it as best I can. Here's what the text says. While the play below may look like Jason Peters is getting cooked immediately, Fields is sitting an absurd 11 yards deep in the pocket. Again, this is one of those things where everybody watches it and says, dude, he just got beat immediately. Why? 
every tackle is going to lose because, first of all, his back is to the quarterback, and there's an assumption of where the quarterback is, and you draw this circle around, and as long as you keep him outside of you, he's got to go all the way around me and then kind of hook back in to be able to sack the quarterback. He's not expecting Miles Garrett to just run around me and the quarterback standing back there. He's not. He's supposed to be in the pocket. He put himself outside of the pocket and took a sack. And again, everybody should be blaming Justin Fields because why in the world are you 11 yards back? Why are you doing that? He was in the shotgun and took like a five-yard drop beyond that, a five-step drop from beyond the shotgun, ended up 11 yards deep. And yeah, Miles Garrett just ran around Jason Peters. But again, Jason Peters didn't even really lose all that much. He barely put his hands on him because if you watch this clip, he's kind of content. I mean, he he literally doesn't touch him because Miles Garrett takes such a wide loop around him. He's like, all right, I'll just follow you around because you're way too far out and you're an idiot. Lo and behold, he hits the quarterback because for some reason Fields is there. Goes on to say offensive linemen are coached to form a standard pocket at seven to eight yards behind the center. Again, as long as he's outside of eight yards, I'm doing my job. And if he's going to keep himself outside of eight yards, he's an idiot. And I just won this rep. It says, sitting that deep without climbing ruins tackles, angles, and leverage. You will never see Tom Brady's of the world setting up that deep without immediately climbing. In other words, if you're going to drop, you climb back into the pocket. He didn't. So again, the point is, Matt Nagy knows this, and he's looking at this, and everyone's saying, play Justin Fields and do a better job coaching, and he's going, dude, I don't want to put Justin Fields out there because he, he's not ready. He's not ready to play football. He, I, I schemed guys open. He's not throwing it. He's standing 11 yards outside of the pocket. He's throwing to guys in double coverage. He's, he's really, as, as much as he's talking in the preseason or whatever about how the game is really slow for him, that's stupid. It's not slow. It's way too fast for him. He's not ready for this. He needs to sit. I don't know why he doesn't just come out and say it. I guess he doesn't want to trash his own quarterback and his confidence and everything else, but he's about to get fired. He needs to come out and just say he's not ready, but he won't. But again, I, I sound upset because again, I'm just, I'm, this is how my brain works with things that are not rational and just trying to tell everybody the reality and get them to understand it. But at the end of the day, this is important to us because the Bears franchise, if Justin Fields is a very, very good quarterback, we might be in a lot of trouble. This is beautiful news, and I'm trying to get you to accept beautiful news. Just accept it. And again, it's, it's, it's not that he can't get better. He's just not ready. But also, the fact is, it's going to be so hard for him to get better in this environment because the Bears messed up in the beginning when they allowed Nagy and Pace to stay. And I don't know how you get Justin Fields on this team and get anybody else in there to make this thing work other than get somebody else in. Maybe they choose to draft Justin Fields. He sits for a year, learns and then comes and plays next year when we bring in a lot more talent. And hopefully Allen Robinson stays, although he's probably gone. I I just, poverty franchise, man. I don't know what else to say. Anyways, I suppose we should uh, go ahead and take a break. Checking in on the Patreons. I did um, send out a thank you to my September patrons, but then I had a couple sneak in last minute. So um, special thank you to John Crow and Ryan Filtz gonna say fits and then I was like wait there's an L I think it's flits and then you know filts I got it man sometimes I'm slow but thank you guys very much for jumping in on the patreons um I think I forgot what the graphic said but like 1700 patrons away which is I I put that in there to be kind of funny but at the same time I think about it I'm like you know I've had this for like two years so you know 15 years maybe there's some exponential growth in there call it like seven years 
Eh, maybe. You never know. There's also some other Patreon stuff in there. We're going to get into the poll that I did. Um, yeah, choking on food. This is why you shouldn't eat when you do the podcast. But um, very short on time, so here we are. We're going to get into the poll that I did, um, kind of gauge how the patrons are feeling about stuff. But also, we're doing another giveaway. Instead of doing the, uh, whatchamacallit, the prop bets, I just said which offensive player, I was going to do the whole team, but you can only do so many, and it was like the exact amount of offensive players we have. But which offensive player is going to have the highest PFF grade? So again, if you're a patron and you want to get involved in a free giveaway, what I've decided I'm going to do is I'm just going to do one of my t-shirts because I keep forgetting they even exist. And to be honest, I kind of want to buy some for myself. So while I'm in there, I might as well get you one too. And this week, we at least know there can be a winner. Last week, there wasn't because all my prop bets, I don't think any of them actually happened. Um, But it's all contingent on somebody actually picking the right guy. And so we got a ton of Devontae, Lazard, MVS, Cobb, Elton, Runyon, Myers, Hanson, uh, Newman, Mercedes, Tunyon, DeGuara, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. But that still leaves us, um, of the guys that are actually playing, depending on Elton, could be Yash, maybe. Uh, Maybe Lucas Patrick. Billy Turner still sitting there. That's pretty much everybody that's going to play has been uh, picked. So there's not... Amari's still there. Never know, man. But uh, we should have a winner is the point. So um, if you are a patron, uh, 43 people are involved so far. So we've got another like 220 that are more than welcome to join in and, uh, you know, maybe win some stuff. But uh, the only, the the last thing, uh, the final, and it's not final because Pristine Auction is so happy with all you guys getting involved and signing up. They're actually going to do more uh, giveaways. I don't know what they are yet, but they did confirm they're going to personally buy some stuff from their own auction, I guess. And then uh, they're going to give it away to this here audience because this audience is the best audience ever. But the final one that I'm aware of, the Josiah DeGuara jersey is up right now. You got to go over to Packernet Podcast on Instagram, and I think you just got to like tag three people and you're good to go. So head over there, do that, make sure you're following them, me, I'm the one that you're following. And uh, that's it, and we'll do that giveaway. But uh, why don't we take a break? We'll come back, we'll talk about some Packer stuff. All right? All right. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so since we ended with uh, Patreon, we might as well pick up right there. Um, We had 50 total votes for how are you feeling about the Packers game. I gave uh, seven options. Packers win big. Packers win. Packers win, but it's close. It's a coin toss. Steelers win, but it's close. Steelers win, and Steelers win big. And um, I think Drew Domelik summarized it perfectly when he said, oh, how one game changes everything. Last week, there wasn't a ton of optimism this week. We had uh, 13 people said out of the 50 that the Packers win big. 22 said the Packers will win. 15 said Packers will win, but it'll be close. For those of you that are good at math, uh, that's it. That's everybody that voted. Nobody even said it's a coin toss for them. Now, maybe it's because I'm a little bit biased, and you guys listen, and I'm, I'm leading you down a certain path. And the only reason that makes me nervous, it should make me happy, but the only reason that makes me nervous is that the Packers do lose I've, I've made that a much more miserable experience for you because I told you that they're not a good team. So I apologize. But um, just kind of a, a, a general look. I mean, I know it's a microcosm of a massive Green Bay Packer fan audience, but I think it really is emblematic of um, what, what, what that last game did for Packer fans. Myself included. I mean, I f- I'm looking at the results and I'm surprised. I mean, I know there's pessimism. I mean, Mr. Negative messaged me, said he thinks the Steelers are going to win, obviously. He said it'd be close, but he, he expects him to win. But there clearly has been a shift in uh, people's perspective of the Green Bay Packers, and I'm happy about it. I think I mentioned it last week. You know, even if the Packers win, Packers still aren't going to get any respect. But, you know, as people start talking, especially with people starting to panic about the Chiefs, I mean, most people are saying pump the brakes, they'll be fine. But there's a lot. When I'm going through and looking for stuff, uh, videos, articles, whatever, there's a ton of articles about should we be worried about the Chiefs. And just by virtue of it coming up, this is the funny thing about it. It's, it's so like political in a way. You know, if, if you were a PR firm for the Chiefs, you hate every single one of those articles because even if you've got 10 articles that say, should we be per- panicked about the Chiefs? Even if every single one of those articles said, no, you shouldn't be, it's such a bad look because it sows seeds of doubt, not just in the team and the franchise, but in the fan base. Because since Pat Mahomes got there, they've been nothing but the golden boy. They've been nothing but the 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 greatest team ever, all this stuff. And then they lost to Tampa Bay, and in ugly fashion, by the way, again, doesn't happen a ton, but this is another area where I've been way ahead of the curve on this, expecting a bit of a collapse from this team. I said it prior to the playoffs, even. Again, not a full implosion, but more like Seattle, where they're no longer unbeatable. They're just they're just good and, and dangerous, but you can beat them. But the point is, with them kind of up against the ropes playing defense, 
you know, with people having to come out and say, no, we're not done. We're, we're, we're still in the fight. Well, you don't have to be scared about us. Nobody's going to put them above the Packers, even if they deserve to be, which I don't think they do. That's given the Packers a little bit of a boost. And again, you know, the, the, the media at large, they live very much in the now and they run with, with, you know, yesterday's information only. And so after week one, the Packers are washed up their garbage. After week three, the Packers are a powerhouse. But still, at the end of the day, it's, it's great to be able to see the complete shift in narrative after that 49ers game. It's what's what's exciting to me is they they beat the Lions and they beat the Lions handily, but nobody really cared and there wasn't that big of a narrative shift. I think the biggest thing here is, and I've been saying, you know, the Packers that they can never get respect, and I don't understand why nobody ever wants to give them respect. I think the way in which they won and against that team really showed what a lot of people thought the Packers couldn't do, and that's really what's forced this narrative shift. Again, it's not everybody, and it's not a full 180, and there's still some skepticism, even by me. I don't fully know where we're headed. But what's funny to me is, remember after week one, Buffalo and Green Bay were on top of the world, right? They both got spanked. The Steelers beat Buffalo, and so now everyone's looking at the Steelers, especially considering they kept the Buffalo offense down, and it's saying, this this Steelers team is going to be dominant. The Packers got annihilated by the Saints, so the Steelers are riding high. And the Packers are at the lowest low. Two weeks later, I want to read to you what NFL.com said about this upcoming game. First of all, the Packers are six and a half point favorites right now. Here's what uh, they had to say. I don't know exactly who wrote this. I believe that Mike Tomlin could sprinkle Magic Steelers defense spice on his group and Pittsburgh would survive. But no team can withstand losing four starters from its vaunted defensive front, especially when one of them was the best edge player in football the last two seasons. T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith's potential return would give the Steelers' defense a chance, but they are still big issues on the back end. Aaron Rodgers hunts mismatches in a way that Big Ben Roethlisberger no longer can. So they they slightly tip their the the give the nod to the Steelers in terms of well, there's a lot of injuries, but then they go on to say, but even if they come back, look, there's too many issues on this team. And Aaron Rodgers is going to pick this team apart. Ben Roethlisberger, even if there's deficiencies on the defense, he's just not that guy anymore. What a difference two weeks makes. Furthermore, I want to run through what uh, PFF had to say about this particular game just to give you sort of an idea of where they're at. And uh, to start off, they said there's, there's the biggest matchup to watch in this game is going to be Cam Hayward versus our left guard, John Runyon. They said Hayward has arguably been the best defender in the league early this season. He's the highest graded defensive player through three weeks and is the only defender with a 90 plus grade as a pass rusher and a run defender. Hayward spends a lot of time lined up over the left guard, which means Runyon should see a lot of him in this game. Runyon has done well in place of Elton Jenkins after playing only sparingly as a rookie. He's allowed just two hurries on 67 pass blocking snaps and his 78.5 pass blocking grade is the best mark on the Packers offensive line over the past two weeks. Their final note is that Najee Harris has been too big of a component of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, which is staggering to me because, again, Najee Harris hasn't been doing all that good of a job. And they have a Hall of Fame quarterback, I guess, probably. And um, a couple relatively big-name wide receivers that should be able to do things, but apparently the Steelers have said, nah, man, you just run the ball all the time. Here's what they had to say. Everyone expected Harris to get a lot of touches in Pittsburgh, but through three weeks, it may be too much of a workload for the rookie running back. He's played 190 of the Steelers' 197 offensive snaps, which is 96%. 
Harris was targeted 19 times last week against Cincinnati, the most of any player in a single week this season. <laughs> Do you realize? Just think about what that means. Do you Did you watch the Packers game and how many times Devontae was targeted? Not as many times as uh, Najee Harris, apparently. For reference, DeAndre Swift is the only running back with more total targets than that this entire year, 23. So, uh, Najee Harris last week has more targets just last week than every single running back the entire year with the exception of DeAndre Swift, who has 23. Harris has also had to do the heavy lifting on the ground. Of his 123 rushing yards, 111 have come after contact because the offensive line can't do squat. 111 of 123, that's insane. And the crazy thing about it is, what does that mean for the Packers? Unless they completely change up what they're doing, and they're doing this on purpose. It's it's not like, well, we can just do whatever we want. No, if you could, you would. They're doing this because they feel like this is how they have to run their offense. They don't want it to run through Big Ben Roethlisberger anymore. So they're trying to force feed Najee Harris. So the Packers with Preston and Kenny and those guys, they got to keep flying after these ball carriers. But it sounds like you take away Najee Harris, you're taking away a massive part of their offense. PFF, by the way... Um, shockingly, because every time I check this, they're less favorable toward the Packers than everybody else. So if if the market is 6.5, which it is, they would usually be like 5.5. They have the Packers as 7.3 point favorites. In other words, they're looking at this game saying, uh, take the Packers with six and a half points. Again, I don't like to do that. I don't, these things are too volatile for me to be like, oh yeah, they'll probably win. They're not only going to win, they're going to win big. I just, eh. I like going under because I'm a coward. You know, it, it, it's baked in what if the other team flukishly wins. But even if they don't win, if they can just keep it kind of close. Keep it under seven and I win. But PFF apparently is like, nah, dude, even at six and a half, take the Packers for sure. By the way, they also have this ELO ranking, which I don't, I don't hardly know exactly what this means, but it's basically their overall rankings. This isn't, this is, this is different than their grading system. So when I, when I give you their ranking based on their grades, it's just a composite of their grades all piled in together. The ELO ranking is different, but they have the Packers as the eighth best team in football right now. The Steelers twenty first. Offense. Well, let's do defensive first because that's less exciting and more interesting. They have the Steelers' defense as fourth, which is understandable. Again, despite the holes, when you have maybe the two best pass rushers in football standing next to each other, you're going to cause some problems. They have the Packers' defense right now sixth. I'm just reading it. Here's the other crazy thing, though. The Green Bay Packers' offense, they have fourth. So that is to say they, according to PFF right now, using their other kind of ranking system. Uh, It's called the Massey ranking system. I've read into it before, and then I forgot, and I don't want to relearn it. But it's basically, it's kind of what, uh, what is it, Football Outsiders does. It, It looks at your wins and losses and stats and all those things, and then weighs it based on who you played. But anyways, um, the Packers offense is fourth. The Packers defense is sixth. The offense for the Steelers, they have dead last. So again, everybody that wants to argue with me, and this Steelers fans refuse to listen to me, and eventually you guys are going to start listening to me. <laughs> You're just going to have to. I was right about the Bears declining. I was right about the Bears the second time. I was right about the Vikings when I said Yannick isn't going to do jack squat. I was right about Matt Corral. I told you this offense wasn't any good. 
Right now, PFF has him dead last, 32nd. I was saying that last year in my NFL draft videos when I was saying you guys should get offensive linemen, you should get wide receivers, you should get tight ends, whatever, you got to fix the offense. Steelers fans hated me because they insisted they had a good offense. Dead last. Anyways, finally, I want to end with uh, one more question that snuck in on the question thing on Patreon. Uh, This via Mr. Kyle Bernson. So we've heard a lot about getting our players to 17 games. After listening to the pod today about having few formations, is this why? Are they showing nothing because it's a long season? Are they holding Z and Cobb back? Are they not showing much on defense for the same reason? Well, we we do know for a fact that they do hold things back as much as it seems like a ridiculous proposition. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're obviously not holding anything back. Well, watch teams in the playoffs. They start going crazy. Right, Nick Foles catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl. It's not like they were running that twice a week anyways. No, they saved that for that day. As far as the formations, I honestly think it has more to do with really just slowly starting to unravel this offense. And I know that seems silly because it's like, all right, we're in year three. But remember, this is an entirely new offensive line. A.J. Dillon is still kind of halfway up to speed. Amari is not really ready to go. Randall's been around forever, but he's never been in the system. And, um, you know, we, we, we witnessed in week three was the first time that the offense really got into a rhythm and really started to feel comfortable. So I think it was really just a matter of let's keep it simple. Let's try to get everybody acclimated, get everybody comfortable. And now that they did that, now let's slowly start to open it up. And I think we will. And the same with the defense. I think we saw we saw how unbelievably difficult this was week one for our defense. They didn't know what they were doing. The miscommunications were through the roof. Week two, we saw it get a little bit better. Week three, we see it get a little bit better. So before you can start flying all over the field and doing crazy creative stuff, you just got to be able to execute the basics. So in a sense, are they hiding it? Yeah, kind of. But I think we maybe would have seen a little bit more if Matt LaFleur felt we could do it. But it's going to have the same effect either way, whether it's hiding it or comfort you're going to see a slow unraveling of these things over the course of the period. That's just my thought as to why. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.